You may be seated. Great singing, Cornerstone Church. Loved it. Thank you, worship band, for leading us. You can have a seat, guys. Thank you for leading us in worship today. You really directed our hearts and our thoughts to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, to the cross. So we enjoyed it. Now we're going to come to today's sermon. And as always, first we're going to read some scripture, or as almost always, going to read some scripture. This is from Paul's epistle to the church in Ephesus, the sixth chapter, as you'll see it is to children and to parents. And this that we're about to read is God's holy word. Thank you. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together in this assembly. We have loved lifting our voices together and singing great songs of the faith. Lord Jesus, we love exalting you and praising and glorifying you in the assembly. And we ask that what you find in our hearts now would be acceptable in your sight. We pray for people in our midst today who are strangers to your saving grace. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon them. Draw them to yourself that they may bow the knee and confess that you are their Lord, their Savior, their God. Thank you for giving us Bibles and even instruction about things like children and parents. Teach us from your word today. May the children of Cornerstone Church be blessed as a result. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Show us the text again, please. Thank you. So... What we have here is rooted in the gospel. These are commands that grow out of the gospel, what the gospel does in your life, these commands. You probably know, or you'll remember if you've been around the Bible much, that Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about doctrine, and they're primarily about doctrines of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then the the last three chapters, four, five, and six, are about our duties as saved people, the duties that we render to Christ evangelically as a result of the power of the evangel in our souls. And so in in four, five, and six, what we're doing is what Christ commanded us to do in the Great Commission when he said, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to do everything I have commanded you. So we're in one of the passages that is like a premier passage in God's word that teaches us what to do. So I don't want you to think this is legalism. It's God's word. It could not possibly be legalism. Or rather, this is grace. To go back for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2, you remember the classic passage, and rightly so is it classic. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we want to make it very clear, this is not about working for salvation. But on the other hand, the very next verse there, and I didn't read it, is Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that is not by works, nonetheless moves us into a Christian life that is walking in the works that God has prepared for us. We're in some of those works now, works of grace, works of the Spirit of God in human hearts. And you'll notice the first word in our text, it is children. And isn't it wonderful that the Word of God addresses children, specifically and directly? What if the Bible never mentioned children? Like, they don't count, they don't matter, but no, God takes prime time right here in Ephesians chapter 6 and says, I need to address, I want to address the children of the flock. Jesus Christ, who had been a child, had an occasion where he was teaching, and there were many adults around, and some kids came running up to him, and his disciples stopped them. No, I'm going to paraphrase. He's the Lord. He doesn't have time for you. You're kids. Get out of here, you kids. And Jesus corrected them and said, no, allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And what those children that day were allowed to do physically, all children in all times are allowed to do spiritually. Jesus Christ receives children who call upon his saving name. It is our prayer that the children of Cornerstone Church would be hearing the gospel, both upstairs, downstairs, and at home, and that they would be coming to the Lord Jesus, and he will receive them. Children can know, can love, can follow Jesus Christ. So children, that's the first word. What's the fourth word? Parents. Isn't it interesting? God is also very interested in parents and parenting. Well, no wonder. I mean, the family is like a basic building block of humanity on the planet, which isn't to diss singles. Again, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul lifts up and extols singles and gives them specific commands of how they can best serve and glorify God. So thank God for singles, for godly singles. But this part's about parents, and so we're in the family. And God addresses parents about how they should raise their children. Notice it's parents, plural, So I know that could be he's like addressing all the parents in the church, but it could also be he's thinking of a family, and a family has parents, plural. We know not all do. I want to say it again. I think I said this last week. Hats off to single moms or single dads, but there's way more single moms. Usually when there's a single parent, I think, I forget, it's 70 or 80% of the time it's a mom. So hats off to single moms. We'll pray for you. We'll bless you. But you'll probably be the first one to say, But you're right, Pastor Steve, this would be way better if I had a dad here too. So it's plural. Parents should come in pairs. A genetic male, you have to say that nowadays, and a genetic female united in holy matrimony for life till death do us part. There is ample data from coming to us from sociology and psychology that family works best when both biological parents are there and the family is in that way intact. This is the way God created it. This is the way God intends it to be. It works best God's way. Furthermore, it's good to have parents, plural, male and female, because, I think you'll agree with this, 
Marriage is, I mean, not marriage, parenting is demanding. Well, so is marriage, but parenting is demanding, even exhausting in a lot of different ways. Before the first service, we were up here doing some sound checks and whatnot, and I spoke to the bass player who was over here on my left today, and they have a baby in their home, a little one, and I asked him, hey, how you guys doing? And he said, well, uh, we're not getting much sleep. <laughs> so uh, I thought, hmm, I remember that. That was long ago, but I remember that. Kind of a fond memory now, but wasn't so fond then. It's a demanding and exhausting And so it's best when it includes what God intended, which is the masculine nature of a biological dad and the feminine nature of a biological mom. This is by God's intent. So parents, plural. And then there's a command in between, and it's the word obey. This is interesting. This is is God taking prime time to talk to parents. And now if it was you, what do you think you would have put right there? Parents, teach your children to what? Children do what? You'd you'd think maybe, maybe God would say, children, the most important thing for you is that you could believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be the most important thing for you. But that's not what he chose to address in the text. Rather, he says, I want you to learn to obey your parents. Why does he start there? Because that's the start of everything else that needs to follow, including obeying the Lord. It's training to submit to God. It's training to obey God. So let's start with the most basic training a child must have. You must learn to submit your will to the will of an authority who's over you. And if you can't do that, you'll never submit your will to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, an authority who's over you. So he starts with children, obey, obey. Now, even though God is speaking directly to the children of the church, we also know that this is This is written for the parents to read and understand because the children need to be learning to obey long before they're reading Ephesians 6. So this is actually a word for the parents as well. It's saying, parents, this is a main thing you need to teach them to do, and that is to obey you. The Greek word for obey is a compound word, hup apuo, akuo. The hup part means under, and the akuo part means here, and it means get yourself under their authority and hear. Hear what they say, hear so as to obey, hear so as to do. So from an early age, you want to start teaching your child to obey. This is God's basic command in this primetime passage on the family and on parenting. It can start early, as early as the changing table. So I remember a lot of things from parenting our first baby I don't remember much about parenting our fourth baby because by then that's one, two, three, four, and it was no big deal. Yeah, I've seen this three times already. But the first one made impressions. So I remember when he was just a little guy, maybe he was that long lying down, and I had him on the changing table. And I had to turn and go over here and get the diapers or whatever it was, and I said to him, lie still. And he knew what it meant by that. He knew what those words meant already, lie still. And I turned away and looked at him, And his little face lit up with pleasure. He was like, and he jerked himself around and rolled over, fortunately toward the wall and not off off the thing. So I grabbed him by a wrist and an ankle and flipped him back onto his back. Said, all right, it's time to do some training here. It's not too early to do some training because it was very obvious his little will was acting. He was even finding pleasure and, re- and rebelling against God. Watch me do this. 
But we see here that God's basic command is that they obey. Parents, it is not wrong to expect them to obey. You're not an oppressive tyrant if you teach them to obey. I say that because some people struggle with demanding their obedience. Debbie did. Uh, Let me tell you an example. I came home one day from work, and she was crying, had a horrible day, what they did to her, how they treated her, what happened. Well, I told them to do this, and they didn't obey me. And I told her, well, you have to, honey, you have to, you have to make them obey you. And she said, I don't feel like it's right for me to do that. I don't feel like it's right for me to impose my will over theirs. And I told her, oh, baby, it's eminently right. <laughs> I got to help you out here, girl. But she struggles with that. And a lot of women will more than men because women, psychologists now know and tell us that women are one standard deviation higher in agreeableness and the trait or the factor called agreeableness. And that means women are more agreeable. They like to get along more. And men don't worry about that as much. A man can tell the kids, stop it. Whereas the wife might be, honey, it would be good if you would stop it. All right, so there's a difference there. Some struggle with this. But the Bible says children obey your parents. With some children, it's pretty easy. Like our fourth child came out of the womb basically saying, I love you, and I want to please you and honor you and do anything you say. And that was pretty much his entire life. And like, if anything ever got a little wacky, all it took was a look, straighten that out, or a word, straighten that out, maybe a touch on the shoulder, oh, okay, I must be doing something wrong, straighten that out. Now, let me tell you about our second son. He's usually here, and he's not here today. I can really talk about him. (laughs) He came out of the womb saying, I want to see what I can get away with. He wanted to test the limits, find out where the fences were, if we really meant the fences were fences. So with one child, it's easy. They're sensitive. One look brings them to tears. All the way on the opposite end, you've got to apply the board of education to the seed of knowledge. But the basic command here is children obey. Now, I want to speak to the children. There are children in the room. Bless you. We love you. We're so glad you're here. We want you to know Jesus Christ. And here's God's word to you. What he's calling you to learn to do is learn to obey mom and dad so that later you'll learn to obey, or even then you'll learn to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is training for godliness. This is training for how you're going to relate to God, the sovereign of over your soul. Let me make some recommendations to parents that aren't in the text, but here they are. Um, parents, I would recommend that you train them for first-time cheerful obedience. Somebody handed us that idea back when we were raising our kids and we thought it sounded good. So again, this is not from the Word of God. This is a suggested application. But we made the goal, first time cheerful obedience. What do I mean by first time? Don't train them that they don't really have to obey and you're not really serious till the third time. You can train them to render third time obedience, but no, it's the first time. Don't train them that they don't really have to obey till you raise your voice and sound really mad. No, train them to do it first time when your voice is soft. Um, Don't train them that they don't have to obey till you threaten them with a timeout. By the way, you know what a timeout is. It's the precursor to solitary confinement in jail. It's what a timeout is. We're putting you in solitary, kid. Don't, don't, 
train them that they don't really have to obey till you threaten the time out. No, first time cheerful obedience. You'll never get that perfectly, but by the grace of God, we hope you'll be able to get that substantially. We recognize that there are children, and some of you might have one or two, that, are, that have greater than usual problems with obedience. Hats off to those moms especially. And the disobedience of that child may be more complex, and there may be more things working there, but that's probably an exception and probably not the rule. I also want to recommend to you parents that when teaching your children to obey, that you don't bribe the little tyrant. Like, don't offer candy for, if you obey me, I'll give you a candy. No, they need to learn to obey, not because they'll get paid something they want, just because they'll obey, just because, as the text is going to say soon, because it is right. So they owe you obedience. You don't owe them a bribe to get it. Imagine a world in which there are no candy bars, and in that world, your children still owe you obedience. Train them to behave admirably in the grocery store. What is it about the grocery store? It's like they know, all right, all bets are off, let's go. When we just had our first two, we had four, but first two only so far in our lives, and we were at a grocery store. I knew the manager of that grocery store. He was a brother in Christ, though he wasn't part of the church that I pastored, but I knew him, and our kids were there, and they were misbehaving, and we weren't dealing with it. And so they're going along touching things on the shelves and stuff. And one of them hit a big pickle jar, knocked it off, and it broke in the aisle. Great. Now I have to go up and talk to the guy I know and say, my kid just knocked the pickle jar down. Please, can I, can, can I clean it up? Can, no, 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 it's not on you. We'll, we'll clean it up and all that. After that, we had some very serious child training. You, you will never touch the pickle jar again training, and it worked. Uh, we learned, by the way, about grocery stores. The key is, for us it was, just a suggestion. So when things went bad in the future, we, uh, we left the cart sitting there in the aisle, took them out to the car, drove the car around the back of the grocery store where nobody could see us, and applied the Board of Education. And then we said, now we're going back in, and this time you're going to do it right. Right? This time you're going to obey mom. And it didn't take long at all. They, they got that, and then they behaved in the grocery store. Don't, don't bribe them. Can I give you another recommendation? It is this. I would recommend that you use the minimum necessary force for the occasion at hand. Like if a look will do it, then a look will do it. So you don't need to go straight to the paddle all the time. Don't be just always like paddling. That's not what the Bible was calling for. A glance might work. A word might work. A warning word might work. The warning must mean if you continue to do that, something will happen to you that you will not like. A touch might work. A flick on the hand, like your baby, you want them to learn to, when you're feeding them and flying the spoon into their mouth, they don't reach up and grab the spoon with their hand, and a little flick on the hand. They might get that message. Or it might be a timeout, precursor to solitary. Let me tell you a true family story about timeout. So, so that son I mentioned earlier, it's the oldest son, he's got a son now, and when that son was about this big, he's 17 now, but when he was about this big, we were keeping him at our house one night for I don't know what, I forget why, and he was misbehaving. So I told him, John, if you do that again, I'm gonna have to give you a timeout. And he looked terrified. No, I don't want a timeout. I thought, what is that all about? I found out, I don't know, six months later or whatever, that. That's their family code word for a spanking. 
So that if the kid ever ratted them out to the police or whatever, did your parents spank you? No, we just get timeouts. That's what was going on there. Sometimes a timeout will do the job, but sometimes you need to go to the paddle. You say, Pastor Steve, you've said paddle four times now. Is that really in the Bible? It is. It's in more than one passage. But here's a good one. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So it's in the Bible, so I don't mind preaching about it. And Debbie and I were, I guess this is old school, but we had a, we had a paddle. We had one that was made of the, this flexible conveyor belt material. It was really cool. And one of our kids took a pen and wrote, ouch, on it. <laughs> and they still have that paddle, and they used it on their kids. It's a family heirloom. We're passing it down. <laughs> the ouch paddle. Now I'm going to read you some from a non-Christian author. It's interesting that you understand the doctrine of common grace. God gives common grace so that people who aren't saved can do good things. Well, sure they can. And they can think good things. And sometimes, in some ways, they'll even think better than some Christians. One such person would be this man, Jordan Peterson. Maybe you've heard of him. This is his book, 12 Rules for Life. Jordan taught psychology at Harvard. Then he went and taught psychology at the University of Toronto until, to quote him, he said, until it was no longer possible to be a university professor. Um, He's made quite a splash in the world. He is certainly the most, I think he's certainly, my guess, the most prominent, the best-known psychologist on the planet right now. Like, name me another psychologist. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he's, he's really known. And he wrote this great book, 12, 12 Rules for Life. Now, I want to remind you, he's not a Christian, though he always cite, often cites Bible, and I think he might be headed that way. And his own daughter, daughter, Michaela, is professing faith in Christ now, so I'll be interested to see how it goes, and I'm praying for him. But he's got rule number five is this. Here's the heading. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. That's a pretty good rule. You don't want to wind up disliking your kids, so don't let them do things that make you dislike them. But there's another reason he explains in the text, and it's this. If your kids are making you not like them, how are other people going to feel about your kids? They don't love your kids intensely like you do. They're not going to put up with all that nonsense like you. You've got to socialize them, as I said last week, so that other people can stand to be around them, might even like to be around them. So don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Now let me read a little bit. Are you with me on this? You stay with me? Recently I watched a three-year-old boy trail his mother and father slowly through a crowded airport. Airport's about like a grocery store. He was screaming violently at five-second intervals, and more important, he was doing it voluntarily. He wasn't at the end of his tether. As a parent, I could tell from the tone. He was irritating his parents and hundreds of other people to gain attention. Maybe he needed something, but that was no way to get it. And his parents should have let him know that. You might object that perhaps they were worn out and jet lagged after a long trip. But 30 seconds of carefully directed problem solving would have brought the shameful episode to a halt. More thoughtful parents would not have left someone they truly cared for become the object of a crowd's contempt. That's well said. It's good stuff. 
I'll read a little more. I have also watched a couple, unable or unwilling to say no to their two-year-old, obliged to follow closely behind him everywhere he went, every moment of what was supposed to be an enjoyable social visit, because he misbehaved so badly when not micromanaged that he could not be given a second of genuine freedom without risk. Well, you don't want to be there. Can I read you a little bit more, Jordan Peterson? Somebody say yes. Thank you. I was more than somebody. That was really good. Page 123. But more often than not, modern parents, this is the premier psychologist on the planet probably, or best known anyway, more often than not, modern parents are simply paralyzed by the fear that they will no longer be liked or even loved by their children if they chastise them for any reason. Paralyzed with fear, if I discipline my child, they won't love me. Again, every parent therefore needs to learn to tolerate the momentary anger or even hatred directed towards them by their children after necessary corrective action has been taken. It is an act of responsibility to discipline a child. There you go, parents. It's your responsibility. We're all counting on you because we want to be around your child and have it a pleasant experience. He says one more, one more little reading from Jordan Peterson. A patient adult can defeat a two-year-old, hard as that is to believe. All right, that's pretty good. That's Jordan Peterson. But that's just Jordan Peterson, and we have the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us, children, obey your parents, and that means parents, you need to train them in that. So that's God's basic command, children, obey. Now, why? Why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, the text gives us some reasons. So let's go back to the text and look. Here's why. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Here's why. For this is right. So that's a good answer to give. Why do I have to obey you, mommy? Because God says it's right. The word right is the Greek word that is also translated just or righteous. This is according to God's law. That's what you have to teach them. You're not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. He gives his law. His law for you is that you should obey me, and it's right. It's just. If it's right that you obey me, it's wrong that you don't obey me. Do this because it is right. And furthermore, it is not child abuse for you to expect them to obey. It's right. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed his parents. We know that because in Luke 2.51, we read the surprising, the unexpected. He's God in the flesh. They're fallen sinners who need him to be their redeemer. And here's what happened. Jesus went down from Jerusalem with Joseph and Mary and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. What do you want me to do, Father? And he did it. What do you want me to do, Mother? And he did it. Always, perfectly. Imagine that. That's one of many ways Mary and Joseph knew this is no normal kid, right? He always obeys us. And everything he says is right. So let me talk to the kids again for a minute. Part of being like Christ is for you to obey your parents. That's part of what's going on here. This should teach you that you want to obey your parents. 
Let me tell you something else while we're on. This should be teaching you. The fact that you are called by God to obey your parents, the law of God about that, is there in part to get you to Christ. The law of God, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. How does the law lead me to Christ? The law shows me I'm a sinner. Children, when God's word says, obey your parents, you know there are times when you have not. You know there are times when your little heart just wants to rebel and not obey. What is that showing you? You need Jesus Christ. You need the shed blood of a loving Savior. And it's open to you. Jesus says, come unto me, and he will receive you and not cast you out. But you are to obey because this is right, because it is just. There's a second reason why you should do this, because this is the first commandment with a promise. So he's going back to the Ten Commandments, and out of the ten, this is the first one. It's number six, the first five. No, I'm sorry, the first four. So this is number five. The first four are vertical, your relationship to God. Then we get to horizontal, your relationship to people. And the first horizontal relationship to people is, this, here it is, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, or honor your father and mother, because this is right. So do it because it is right, and it is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. You see, children, God doesn't tell you to obey your parents because he's mean, because he wants to ruin your life because he wants to make life upsetting. No, God wants what's well for you. And he says, it will be well for you if you obey your parents. Your life will go good if you learn this skill with mom and dad. And also, you'll live longer that, that you may live long in the land. Well, hey, that was the Old Testament and there was a death penalty for disobedience. So yeah, you'll live longer, but not just that. You'll live longer by, you'll learn to control yourself. You won't get in trouble that you don't need to get into. You won't get in fights and you know, whatever, all kinds of things. You'll, your life will be better. It will go well with you that you may live long in the land. God wants that for you. He put it in the Ten Commandments because he wanted that for you. I mean, how important is this? It's in the Ten Commandments. So... There's a, there's a promise. God wants your life to be good, children. Again, Jordan Peterson says, quote, poorly socialized children have terrible lives. And that's true, because nobody likes them, and nobody can be around them. Pray for your children. Labor for your children. Love your children. Invest yourself in your children that they may be socialized, that they may be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now he goes to fathers. Next slide, please. Fathers. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers. So we're talking about parenting. We're talking about children. And first he just talks about parents. Obey your parents, plural. But now when he wants to single one out, he singles out not the mother, but the father. So why does he do that? We can only guess. Here's my guess. It's just a guess. Because the mother by nature, the mother by chemical fueling, 
is so deeply attached to and all over and for that child. You don't have to tell a mother unless she's lacking the thing the Bible calls natural affection. Sometimes nature does not achieve her objective. But for the most part, mothers are like, that's my baby. I'm all over. This is my life. And God put that in her feminine motherly nature. But that's not so much in the father's nature. What's in his nature is more like, I need to provide and protect, right? So the mother's about the relationship and nurturing, and the father is all about by fueling, by God's design, by nature. I need to provide and protect. And so the fathers need to be spoken to here. Father, you're not off the hook for parenting. They need your involvement too. It's not all up to mothers. Father, you are head. That means responsibility and authority for the family. And what's the command to fathers? It's a negative. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, it's important that we understand just because they got angry doesn't mean you provoked them. Doesn't mean you did wrong. In fact, I guarantee if you're doing right, they're going to get mad sometimes, right? So just because they got mad, don't think, oh, man, I really messed up there. No, they're going to get mad sometimes. But don't let it be because you provoked them to anger. Well, what would possibly provoke them to anger? People tell us that the chief thing would probably be treating their mother badly. Treating their mother badly. You're yelling at their mother. You're abusive toward their mother. They're not going to like that. That's going to make them angry. Or it might be that you have impossible demands. Or the demands are a moving target. That was okay yesterday. Today I'm in big trouble for doing it again. Or there's favoritism. How come you treat my sister that way, but you treat me this way? It might just be your perception, kid. But anyway, it might be true. All right? It might be you're all commands and all duty and no love. It might be that you're harsh. It might be that you're angry. But the text says, fathers, here's what we do not want you to do. Don't provoke your children to anger. That's not going to produce healthy humans. That's not going to produce people who are going to be in love with the Lord Jesus. They see him as an authority and you were an authority. Ooh, I don't like authority. And maybe you don't blame them, but they need to get over that and go to Christ. So don't provoke them to anger. What do we do instead? But bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Now, nurture and admonition were two very, very common terms in Paul's day for raising up kids. The, the term nurture is a word that it's paideia, and it means child training. That was a very common word in, the, in their day. And so was admonition. Admonition is a stronger word. It means you're giving them authoritative counsel. You're making demands of them. So there's nurturing, but there's also admonishing them. But Paul adds the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the Greeks had their way of doing it, but we've got our way. It's in Christ. Well, what would that be? Well, we want to nurture and admonish them in the, in the Lord by getting them in the, in the sound, of, in the hearing of the word of God. So we want them in church. And we want a vibrant children's ministry that's going to help parents. Doesn't replace parents. Parents are responsible. It's a help, but it's a very good help. And we want them hearing the word of God there and the gospel there and hearing about Jesus Christ there. We want to just cover them in the things of God. 
But it's also family instruction. And the Word of God does not demand this of you. I'm giving a recommendation. It's important I make that clear sometimes. This is not God's Word. This is Steve and a whole lot of other people giving you a recommendation. Uh, A family worship time with children would be so helpful. Where they're constantly hearing from Dad... I love the Lord. I love God's word. I want to read it to you. I want to discuss it with you. I want to pray it in with you. That is so helpful. And that's kind of what we get in Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the Old Testament's premier parenting passages. Let's look at it together. We might call this Way of Life Bible College. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then what happens? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, this is way of life Bible college. My dad, we go driving somewhere, and he's talking to me about Jesus. Good. Here's what one person wrote. Their child training in the Lord is to be saturated with a biblical worldview, with Scripture, and with truth. More about this. Actually, commenting on Deuteronomy 6, my favorite living theologian, John Frame, in his massive book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, on page 439, writes, quote, God-centered is really too weak a term to describe this kind of education. God-saturated is more like it. Children are to grow up in an environment where they cannot avoid the Word of God. It is always there, searching them, admonishing them, instructing them in the truth. Later, Frame writes, it follows that everything the child learns about the world should be related to God's word. So, fathers, he addresses you. This is your spiritual duty. It flows out of your renewed heart so that you might leave them to have a, leave them to have a renewed heart so that they might render evangelical obedience to you and to God. Fathers, a couple things in closing. So parents, pray for your kids' salvation, right? I believe you're doing that. Probably once you found out you had conceived and they're in the womb, you're praying already. Oh, Lord, don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. Please save their soul. May they be like John the Baptist and love Christ in the womb. Probably not going to happen. But pray for your children's salvation. Number two in closing, very simple. And work for your children's salvation. Get them near the gospel. Get them around the word of God. Saturate their little souls with the things of the Lord Jesus. Do it Deuteronomy 6 style. Do it family worship style. Do it corporate gathering. Do it kids ministry. Do it youth group style. Do it all the styles you can. You want them swimming in the truth of God. Pray for them. Work for their salvation. Team up with others. I just mentioned youth ministry and so on. Team up with, I'm a grandparent. Team up with grandparents. 
I view it as one of the joys, if not responsibilities of my life, that I get to be around grandchildren and I pray for them and seek to influence them in the things of Christ. I want them to hear, gee, even grandpa's like mom and dad. Well, they know I'm a pastor, what do they expect? Even grandpa talks about the things of the Lord. Even grandpa wants me to be saved. Yes, pray for them. Work for their salvation. Team up with other ministries and grandparents that can help. All to the glory of God. All right, parents, I love you. It's a hard job. Pray for you. You only get to do it once. Lord, help us to do it well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We pray for the mothers and fathers and children of this church that the Spirit of God would be moving powerfully in them all. We pray for our young ones that you would use all the various means of influence for godliness that are in their lives to draw them savingly to the Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, may our boys and girls have hearts for Christ. And help us as mothers and fathers. We fail in many ways. We must confess our sins to you and to them. But we pray, our Father, that by your grace, we may substantially give our children what they need to receive from us. We thank you for the ministries of this church that minister to our young people and pray that you would fill each worker, each teacher, each counselor, each volunteer, fill them with your Holy Spirit that they may help the parents of this church and raise up a godly seed. And Lord Jesus, all that you might be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor, one of our pastors would love to talk to you. All you have to do is text pastor, the word pastor, to the number on the screen, and we'll be reaching out. Thanks. Pastor Stan.